0: to those joining with us on our podcast service, tapping in on Podbeam, Spotify or Facebook, you can do that now. Uh, welcome to the House of God here at Christian Outreach Centre here in Charters Towers and I'd just like to say you're all very welcome and my, my deepest prayer is that this ministry and message tonight will instill faith and hope, causing you to run with endurance the race that is set before you. As a Christian and as a believer, we're running a long distance race, Amen. And uh, my hope and this ministry's hope is that will encourage you to run with endurance. And so I'd like to talk to you this evening about irretrievable situations. Do you think of a situation in your life or in the earth or in Australia that's irretrievably lost? Immediate and long-term outlooks that appear hopeless. Perhaps you see circumstances as so lifeless and void of hope. When I look across Australia, sometimes I could have that attitude, amen? And, uh, or even your life perhaps is one ship that I use, is one ship that cannot be salvaged. Do you see a situation like that? But on a, le- on a national level, do you see our country and other nations of the West going down an enormous porcelain facility as the level of depravity is hard to comprehend, isn't it? We turn on our TVs and the things that are going on on the earth are difficult to comprehend. And we say, Lord, can you retrieve such a situation? Can there be a turnaround in such a situation? And where in this whole mess is there a glimmer of hope? And so uh, I pray that tonight revelation knowledge will flow. And I pray that the life and presence of God would flood into the deep crevices and depths of every heart here tonight. Let healing, hope, and wholeness be the people's portion in Jesus' name. That's That's my hope for each and every one of you and for what you're believing for and for this nation. I believe there is a hope. The foundation of the Christian message, it begins at the tomb, amen? That's true, isn't it? The start of the Christian message begins at the tomb. So it shows you that even something that is dead can be brought and resurrected to life. The symbol of our mighty faith is the cross representing finality and a gruesome end the cross itself was an instrument of death how final can you get and yet to each and every one of us it's a symbol of hope and so it is not the end in fact but it is often the beginning and the message of the cross has been the greatest sign of hope to any people in any age despite the darkness Or the despair that you may feel about any given situation that you can think of? Can you think of any dark situation that you think there is just no hope? The cross is still the answer, amen. The tomb is still the place of resurrection power. There may be the outlook in the natural is bleak. But there may be a tomb, but resurrection power is on the way. In fact, for there even to be a resurrection, there must be a death as hard as it may be at the time to endure. Abraham, when there was no hope, in hope believed. So how is that for a start for us? Romans 4:17, and it's a great chapter on faith. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed. What a message of encouragement is always the cross. In the face of life's realities, there are spiritual truths that we as believers in Christ firmly adhere to with great expectation. Hope and vision are infused with power when the substance of faith is presented, amen? When you have a a vision or a hope for the future, connect that with faith, which is now, and you have something of substance. Faith is a substance, meaning that you either have it or you don't. So hope, faith instilled into a vision brings substance to that vision. Abraham was justified by faith in Romans chapter 4 and so are we today. Habakkuk 2.4, Romans 1.17 and Hebrews 10.38 boldly declare that the cornerstone of the great Martin Luther's reformation, the just shall live by faith. Amen. Not a walk in the dark, oh no it's not. A venture in faith is a walk in the light, amen? It is a walk in the light. The just neither being blind nor stupid, we're not blind nor stupid because we're a person of faith. Substance that is higher and holier and of more intrinsic worth than silver or gold, amen? Silver and gold have I none, Peter said. And it didn't matter whether he had a cracker to his name because you can't purchase salvation anyway. Who would like the Word of God dumbed down this evening, amen? Who would like it really dumbed down? <laughs> I think we all need to rise up, amen, to the message. A lot of people these days are dumbing down their messages. They say, oh, the people can only handle 15 or 20 minutes. That's their concentration span. Uh, you know what, in, in the times of the, of the Puritan fathers, amen, they used to preach for two and three hours. George Whitfield preached for three hours on his last message before he died, amen? Three hours, and the people didn't want to go home. When you're hungry for the word of God, two or three hours won't be enough. You still won't want to go home. So I pray that I, I'm not going to dumb down tonight's message, amen? I believe we have a capacity in this day and age to comprehend what God has written plainly in his word, Amen? The word of God is written for the day-to-day people, for everybody to comprehend and everybody to apprehend. Amen? As we read in 1 Kings, the history of Israel, the glory days of its early kings, King Saul, King David and Solomon, it came to an end in chapter 11. And Solomon's son, Rehoboam, which I spoke about a week or two ago, comes to the throne as an unwise king And the result was that the kingdom of Israel was divided and was to never be united again for over two and a half thousand years. Amen? It took two and a half thousand years. June 7, 1967, and the gates of Jerusalem were united again for the first time in over two and a half thousand years. And so the northern kingdom of Israel, it came to an end in 722 B.C., when the Assyrian armies took away its captives, its people, and carried them into Assyria, and it was because of their idolatry and sin, it was a consequence of the nations given over to depravity, idolatry, and sin. They gave up on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and begin to embrace gods, not of their fathers. Amen. Does that remind you of Australia in the West, perhaps? We've given up on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and have embraced anything and everything. But in the Northern Kingdom, there was a usurping king named Jeroboam. He secured his leadership in the Northern Kingdom by setting up an apostate and counterfeit religious system. Anything apostate, counterfeit, is of the devil, amen? Amen. It may look good, it may sound good, it may come as, as an angel and light as described in Satan himself. I call it the bright lights of hell. I call it chocolate coated gravel. It tastes good on the outside but you suck that truck chocolate off and all you left is gravel in your mouth. Amen? That is the bright lights of hell and it is an apostate system. You've got a counterfeit God, I won't go into all the details there, a golden calf at Bethel and Dan. They set up a counterfeit place to worship these foreign gods, a counterfeit high or sacred place. There was a counterfeit priesthood. There was a counterfeit feast of tabernacles or feast of booths, all counterfeit. They all had the appearance of looking good, but they were all counterfeit, the whole lot. There was a counterfeit months to celebrate their religious festivals. They changed everything. They changed signs and seasons and days and years. There was a counterfeit altar. There was a counterfeit incense burning, which was forbidden by God in Exodus chapter 30. I won't go into all the scripture references for the sake of time, but the root of this usurping rebellious kingdom, would produce, it produces detestable fruit, unpalatable to God, and would in the course of time be judged. Right now, Australia is producing unpalatable fruit to God, And in the course of time, when the days of grace have come to their conclusion, there will be a judgment on the earth, amen? It is called a day of reckoning. Right now, we're not seeing the day of reckoning, but don't fear, it's coming, it's only around the corner, amen? And so, the purpose of judgment is though always to bring people and to turn people back to God. That is the purpose of judgment. When judgment comes upon a land, a drought may hit a land for 10 years or 15 years. A drought has come in many lands and nations, including Australia. The purpose of it is to bring people back to God, that they would repent of their sin. It says, If my people who were called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, amen? Then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. The shortened version of it, amen? Paraphrasing. Then I will hear from heaven. But the thoughts of many people in Australia today, the question go through people's minds, could ever the glory days of this country ever be restored again in light of what we're experiencing right now? Without going into any detail. Could the people, could the land, could and could ever righteousness reign again in this land? These are the thoughts that are going through my mind and I'm sure they are going through yours. As the people are being led into great apostasy, this land is being led into great apostasy and beginning to embrace gods and devils and demons and witchcraft which it was originally delivered from. And we see in all the earth a returning to paganism and witchcraft practices which all the nations had been delivered from for hundreds of years. In the case of Europe, for 2,000 years, witchcraft practices have been brought to naught, but there is a re-emergence of the gods of old, amen, and they are bringing the nations to despair. In 1 Kings 13.2, I would like to encourage you today to write down some of these scriptures. And here we are in 1 Kings, and this is a And in the days of the first wicked king, uh, Rehoboam, he was the first king in the northern tribe of Israel. And God was addressing it from the outset. And it says, and behold, a man of God, it doesn't even give his name. He's just known as a man of God. That's all he is. And from Judah to Bethel, he went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And this man of God, he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold a child, Josiah by name. How good is that? Josiah by name. He names the man who had not even been born. And he said he shall be born in the house of David. In other words, in the southern region of, of Judah. And, uh, and, and you shall sacrifice And on you he shall sacrifice the priest of the high places, that is these pagan priests, places who burn incense on you and men's bones shall be burned on you. And you think, well, that's an obscure passage. Where does all this come about? But these words were to lie dormant for 300 years. Do you think for a moment that God has got to deliver for us in this day? When great apostasy was on the land, there was the prophet proclaiming 300 years before the boy king came into power the northern kingdom had no good and godly king but he was prophesying that a deliverer would come and his name would be josiah are you looking for a josiah here today in this great season of apostasy on the earth in the northern kings they were generally introduced as something like this Omri, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, for he walked in all the ways of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and in his sin by which he made Israel sin, provoking the Lord to anger with their idols. And so Israel, that is the northern kingdom, continued into their wickedness till they were finally taken into captivity in 722 by the Assyrians. Amen? These are significant dates. 722, the northern kingdom was taken into captivity, and a lot of the ten tribes they either were taken into the captivity or they were driven back down into the lower level of Judea. And so, Judah, the southern kingdom, continued under one Davidic line of rulership or monarchy, and the spiritual pendulum swung under the different influences of its rulers. And the southern kingdom had 20 kings, and it records that Judah had five good kings. Five out of 20. The northern kingdom had none out of their 19. There was Abijah, Jehoshaphat, Jotham, Hezekiah, and Josiah. And these good kings were the reformers and the revivalists of the day. And the people flourished, and the blessing returns under godly leadership. Amen? And godly leadership does not avert judgment, but it defers judgment. Amen? When God proclaims a judgment on a land, judgment will come. Judgment will come, but a good king, good leadership, a good church, good leadership will defer impending judgment on the land. People don't like to hear this in this dispensation of the church, in this dispensation of grace. They don't like to hear this but it's confirmed in the Word. Proverbs 14.34 puts it this way, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a, is a reproach to any people. And I always think if righteousness can exalt a nation, what can it do for you? If righteousness can lift up a nation, what can righteousness do for you? Or it can lift you up. It can lift you up and set your feet upon a rock. Maybe it's not the fastest track to success or good living that you have thought. But the peace of God floods into your heart and every day can be a joy to you. Hezekiah cleansed the temple. He restores worship. He keeps the Passover. He accumulates riches and honor and was said in his reign, the hand of God was on Judah to give them singleness of heart, to obey the commandment of the king and the leaders at the word of the Lord. You see, uh, unity commands the blessing. But it's amazing, I have seen through Scripture, and you will have too. This good king, uh, Hezekiah, had a son, and his name was Manasseh. Oh, he could not have had a better or more godly father than Hezekiah in his upbringing. Could not have had a better father. A lot of people want to blame their parents for this and for that. But all the Manasseh could have ever blamed his father was, was a good and godly upbringing. Amen? He was living in the land in its prosperous and blessed days. And yet Manasseh, he brought the degradation of the nation from Hezekiah to Manasseh, the heights of goodness in Hezekiah's reign to the depths of depravity that brought the nation under the judgment of God. Second Kings chapter 21. Let's go to that for, for a moment. If you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to bring your Bibles to church and bring a notebook and a pen. And so we see that Manasseh in Second uh, Kings chapter 21, that he reigned for 55 years, the longest of any king, and yet he was the most wicked of any king. Isn't it terrible that he was the most wicked and yet he reigned the longest? And he came to the throne when he was just 12 years old, amen? Under the heavy influence of his father Hezekiah. But what did he do? He rebuilt the high places to sacrifice to false gods. In other words, he rejected the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he began to serve the gods of old, the ones that were thrown out of the nation, the ones that that nation was, was uh, brought to judgment with, and why God handed the promised land over to these people because the people before them were wicked and were thrust out by God, and God used the Jewish people to uh, bring a judgment to the wickedness, and yet Manasseh, here he rebuilt those high places. In verse 3, he says he raised up the altars for Baal. Baal means child sacrifice, amen? Abortion is directly involved with the spirit of Baal to this very day, and Baal has raised its ugly head after having been almost ousted of Western civilization for 2,000 years, it has raised its ugly head in this, our generation. In Australia, more than 3.5 million abortions. In America, more than 65 million abortions. Amen? The safest place in the world should be the mother's womb. And I was thinking, and Mother Teresa said, if a mother could kill a child, there is no atrocity a nation cannot commit. Amen? No, no atrocity. That's what Mother Teresa said. They made up wooden images, worshipped all the hosts of heaven, and served them. In verse 4, he built altars in the house of God for the purpose of pagan worship. Witchcraft. Amen. This nation had been dealt, had been uh, uh, delivered, much of its witchcraft, but its reemergent in these last ten years is horrendous, amen. Horrendous. He made his sons pass through the fire. In other words, they were sacrificed to Baal on the bronze statue with holes in its arms to allow the fire to consume the sacrifice. Amen? Wickedness, absolute wickedness. But we are no better in this our day. Amen? No better. Children can have abortions these days and their parents not even be told. And they're protected by law. Soothsaying and witchcraft, if there was a Satanist, in the land, Manasseh was it. Amen? He was a Satanist through and through. He consulted mediums and spirits. He set up carved images of Asherah in the house of God. He, and in verse 9, it says he seduced the people to do more evil than the nations which were before them. More evil. How more evil can you get? And in verse 16, it says he shed very much innocent blood. Oh, he crosses the line when you start shedding innocent blood. And in these Western nations, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, America, and many of the nations in Europe, innocent blood has been shed. Amen? Couldn't even defend itself. And in verse 11 and 16, I call it Manasseh crosses the line. Amen? Things that have been going on in the U.S. at the White House. And we see a flag in the middle, supported by the nation's flag. Amen? Horrendous. And the things that were said, and absolute detestable practices on the White House lawn. And when I saw it, I said, the nation has crossed the line. And there will be no turning back. Amen. But there will be a a Josiah moment for for us, for this nation and for America. There will be a Josiah moment. Should we want to partake of it? And uh, so, but that is not the end of the story. Often Chronicles, in the same context, Chronicles gives a, a rundown of the same kings of Judah in a, from a godly perspective. And so, uh, it, it, I, uh, I didn't go over it there, uh, but it says in 2 in Second, in Second Kings back there, how God was to bring judgment to the nation, amen? And it gives it step by step by step for all the atrocities, and it goes into great detail. However, after this occurred, something Manasseh did, and it was the greatest deed he ever did. And the greatest thing that Manasseh was, he did is that he repented. Can you see? He was one of the most wicked men who ever lived, and yet he repented and received forgiveness. It's a good thing, isn't it? Read Second Chronicles here, 33, 1 to 9. Let me go there for one, for one moment. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. He reigned 50 years in Jerusalem. Hang on, just hold the hold line. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh in verse 10 and his people, but they would not listen. Therefore the Lord brought upon him the captains of the army of the kings of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters and carried him off to Babylon. Those hooks could have been put in his jaw. They could have been put in his cheek. Amen. They could have been put in his shoulder or on his breast. That's what, that's what foreign armies did to their captains. And they led the kings of their, the people they had conquered through the streets. And, uh, and, uh, and so this is what happened to Manasseh and brought him with bronze fetters, that's chains, and carried him off to Babylon. So off to Babylon went King Manasseh, after he was forewarned. Now when he was in affliction, this is probably one of the most amazing verses in the whole of the Bible, because it shows you the depth of depravity that man can go, yet it shows you the heights of God's grace and forgiveness that God will go. Here he is, one of the most godless men in all the earth, And it says, now when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God. He humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, and he prayed to him, and he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and he brought him back. Who brought him back? God brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem. He forgave him. 55 years he'd been leading, and then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Amen? There is hope for every person. You may see down your best friends and people in your family. and You say, oh, there's no hope for them. I don't care what they have done. The Bible says, I don't, think, I don't know a person who's worse than Manasseh right now. Amen? I do not know one person who has sacrificed his own children in the fire. And yet there was forgiveness for this wicked king, Manasseh. It's hard to comprehend the goodness of God, isn't it? People in in our... We find that sort of forgiveness difficult to comprehend. But when a, a repentant heart comes to God, he will in no wise cast out. The greatest thing that Manasseh did was to repent, showing the depths of depravity that man can reach and the height of grace that God extends. And so Chronicles reports or records the repentance of Manasseh. In addition to that, he's, in his time, he seduced the whole of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations that would. So he was a leader of leaders. I mean, he was the king of the land, a person of, no, there was no more person of greater influence over his people than the king. And he caused all the people of the land to be seduced by his own wickedness. When he died, and so we see here that Manasseh came to Christ, Manasseh repented, Manasseh came to God, he came to his senses, and really that's what coming to salvation is, a person like the prodigal son came to his senses, amen? It's a great day when we come to our sentence, sentence, senses. (laughs) So his son then comes to power, he's about 22 years old, and his name is Ammon, but he was influenced heavily influenced and he was an absolute byproduct of depravity and debauchery so manasseh had a son and his name was ammon and manasseh repented but his son although a witness did not his son never repented and so the lord it says killed him after 2 years in the saddle he was uh, he was uh, removed and uh, Ammon probably witnessed some of his own brothers sacrificed on the altar of Baal at Topheth in the valley of Hinnom, which is just outside the walls of Jerusalem. I've been there. And uh, so now comes to the throne Josiah, the boy king. Amen? And this is the most exciting part of the message because we see that God has always got an answer. And this Josiah was already ordained 300 years before by a prophet of the Lord. Amen? 300 years. Does God know the state of Australia? Yes, he does. And he is already raising himself up a Josiah for the day in which we live. Amen. And do we need a, do we need a Josiah? Oh, yes, we do. Oh, yes, we do. Josiah was eight years old, so he was another boy king. And so who groomed him, Josiah? And, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And it says... Um, He did what was right in the sight of the Lord and he walked in the ways of his father David and he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left for in the eighth year of his reign while he was still young, so he's only 16 years old, he began to seek the God of his father David. Where did he get that influence to begin to seek God? The Bible tells me that the book of the law was lost. The Bible also tells me that the priest of the day couldn't even read, amen? He had no interest in the word of God. Where did he get that influence? And the answer is simple. He did not get it from his father, but he got it from his repentant grandfather, Manasseh. And Manasseh, in in his dying years of his kingship, being restored by God himself, he was forgiven of every atrocity. He knew the horrendous mistakes as a king that he had made and he saw his grandson, the boy king, and in, him, and in his grandson he saw himself and he says, oh, how I wish I had done it differently. And he looked to his grandson and he took his grandson by the hand and he began to instill the goodness and the grace of God. And he says, if I had my time again, I would do it this way and I would do it this way and I would do it God's way. And Josiah, the boy king, he heard every word that his his grandfather spoke. Oh, isn't it good when grandfathers and grandmothers get around their grandkids, amen, and begin to instill the oracles of God? Oh, we can do that. Who do you have influence over today? Oh, there are so many. What a great, what a great message this is. And, just, and although, although judgment had been uh, placed upon Judah and Israel as a collective, Josiah stemmed the tide of wickedness, and in his day there was a great revival in the land, a great and almighty revival in the land. There were three major revivals in in that time and they were under Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah and Josiah. They were the revival kings. And companies, business, institutions, governments, they all rise and fall on leadership. And the church is no different, amen? But when the church under good leadership begins, and you can get behind good leadership when you see it. Sometimes it's rare, but when you see it, get behind it, support it. Because there is a reprieve for the land when they begin to seek God with all their heart. And I believe Australia is in a very, very similar situation, not to the days of Josiah, but we are right now in the midst of the days of Manasseh. When such debauchery and atrocities are happening from our kindergartens to the open streets, there is nothing sacred anymore. And we are waiting for God's Josiahs to be appointed to their position amen and that there will be a revival and we would be on a verge of a mighty spiritual awakening for the land and even for the west amen you think things are too far gone they couldn't have been further gone than in the days of manasseh could not have been more wicked than in the days of manasseh and politically the voice of the quiet conservative masses right now is being ignored amen That's exactly what has happened. But we, as a church and a believing church in the person of Christ, we need to develop a backbone and begin to be strong and courageous and declare to be true what we know to be true. The tide, I believe, will turn and there will be a reprieve. It will not remove the judgment that will come upon this land. The Bible tells me in the book of Revelations that all nations will be judged, it will not be removed. We have crossed the line without a doubt. I saw it as clear, as clear, as clear. In the last few weeks, the word the Lord spoke to me. When I YouTube Jonathan Kahn and others, it was they use exactly the same terminology. They have crossed the line. Amen? But we are on a verge of a mighty spiritual awakening. And politically, I say, the voice of the quiet conservatives has been ignored. And so the madness of a nation and nations railroaded into godliness without the consent of a huge sector of the people. We don't have to go back only 100 years to see it. With the Bolsheviks in Russia and the Nazi party in Germany, they were all minority parties. But they railroaded the masses who became compliant and would not speak out. And we still have a day and a time right now to speak out. And we can, but it does take courage to do so. It takes courage to do that. But the masses were silenced, and courage and resolve were absent. We know that Aaron had two sons, Hopfini and Phinehas. And the Bible says they were priests to the Lord, but they did not know the Lord. And so we see a godly man like Aaron had two sons himself, godless. Samuel replaced Eli, Eli's own two sons, Amen. They were wicked, and so Samuel himself, when he, when he was to retire, his own sons were wicked, did not know God. It's amazing how tremendously godly people can have such ungodly offspring, but it shows you that every man's sin is his own, and the faith in God can be imparted and rejected, and this is a reality, amen? This is a reality. We think we believe for our children and all this, but God never takes away the free conscience of any person. And he never forces himself on anybody. Each man's sin is his own. But here is the powerful conclusion. The chills would come to the keys, that would be great. But God has prepared deliverers to be brought forward at a pre-appointed time. Such was Josiah 300 years before he came to the throne. God brought forth Moses in answer to the people's prayer and cries. They were in hard bondage. The whip and the lash was all they had to look for. They cried out to God. And born then was Moses. Moses then became their deliverer. But it took 80 years for God to bring forth the instrument Moses, who would be a vessel of God's grace and leadership. Amen. God answers prayer. God does answer prayer. He answered prayer immediately, but Moses was born immediately. They said, "Here is your deliverer," but he was yet to be formed. Amen. He was, and God, it didn't do it in the limelight. Moses was forged in the pit, because the steel of greatness is not made in the limelight. It is forged in the backside of the desert. But I believe there are many here right now, across Australia, in the backside of the desert. And God is bringing you forth as an instrument, a decisive instrument to come forth in its appointed time. Amen. It could be you. It could be you. It could be you. And God is wanting to use vessels that would yield to him. It's not always easy to be sharpened by God. It's not always comfortable. And God leaves no stone unturned in developing our character to be able to be brought forth, to be used as an instrument of his righteousness God is raising up Josiahs and they will come forth to fulfill the prophetic word as it was prophesied 300 years in advance and they gave him in his Josiah's name <coughs> Cyrus was called forth by name 100 years in the book of Isaiah recall that and he came to power to be a Gentile king and leader of the Medes and Persians to restore the exiled Jewish people to their homeland. In fact, they showed Uzziah's prophecy to Cyrus and he fulfilled the prophetic destiny that God had for his life. Amen. It's exciting, isn't it? God is not going to leave this generation void of Josiah's. He's not going to leave us void of Cyrus's nor of Moses's. God is going to raise up deliverers And I believe there is going to be a whole host of deliverers. And I just pray today, will you take your place? Will you yield to God for this generation? Evangelist Mario Morello said recently, I lived in a generation which which put man on the moon. Today we live in a generation which puts men in women's bathrooms. That is the generation in which we live. Such is the depravity that is barraged into our society and communities. I believe God is calling you and I here today to be the answer to the prayers of those who have gone before us. There are people who have prayed before us and I believe will be the fruit of their prayers to a perishing nation whose hope seems altogether lost. And I think for the children and unborn innocent of the land, I say to the church, rise up, amen. To the children and innocent of this land, even in our region here, I say to the church, rise up. For the women of the land, I say, rise up. The church needs to rise up on behalf of the women. They can't even race a, have a normal athletics race these days without having to contend for wickedness. For the men of the land, I say, rise up church, amen. And allow men to be men again. I say to the church of the living God, rise up this day we as a nation have crossed the line there's no doubt in my mind there will come a time of reckoning but the desires of the church can defer the judgment of the lord and so that a whole generation this generation has, has been a generation who has been deprived of the gospel amen we have not even given this generation of children an opportunity to hear the gospel we've had a whole generation of parents Right now there's thousands on the sporting field and yet there is none in church and in this region of Charter Stowers, there is not one Sunday school and not one youth group. And I say to the church, enough is enough. Enough is enough. When we will become, when we will rise up, will you become a Josiah revival king to this end time generation? Will you become that Josiah king? And we've all got an opportunity God has placed gifts and calling of God on each and every person sitting here in this house and to those listening online. There's people listening on online. You've got gifts and callings. You've got strategic, God has strategically placed you. You've got a calling of God that nobody else has and an influence and an ability to reach out to people that only you know. Will you be the Josiah King that would bring revival and defer the judgment that is inevitably going to come? On this land, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray in Jesus' name. What a severe message! Well, certainly not a feel good message, but Lord, how your heart breaks! How your heart breaks for this land, for this people. My heart breaks, Lord, for this land and for this people who know not their left hand from their right, like the people of Nineveh but given a chance and an opportunity to, to repent. Oh, Jonah went into that city and a whole city repented. Father, I pray, Lord, raise up the desires in this land. Let our hearts break with the things that break your heart, Lord God. How long can we be complacent? How long can we do nothing? How long can we remain prayerless? How long can we not come to the house of God and begin to join our faith with others and see a revival come to this land that our children, Lord God, today surrounded with such a debauchery, Father God? How long, Lord God? How long, how long, how long can we tolerate this sort of stuff? How long, Lord, can we be silent? As the captain went down into Jonah's ship, into the ship where, and Jonah's sleeping and he says what are you doing sleeper call upon your God even the world is waiting for the church to call upon our God even the world Lord God is waiting for us for the manifestations of the sons of men Father to rise up and call upon your name Father I pray raise up your Josiahs today raise them up Lord God today